This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. We are holding over here by a um, very, by the next halacha in the Rambam, the next paragraph. We have spoken about the concept of basic um, fundamentals and ikrim and the role that they play and the significance and so on. But now we're going to go to the first point. And that is, the Rambam says, Leida, the Yisora Yisoras HaMurachachmos, that we've covered last time, the, the, the foundation and the pillars. Leida is to be aware, Sheyesham Motsirishon, that there exists a primary entity, Vuhumamtsikol Nimtza, and he has brought into existence everything else that exists. Vichola Nimtzoi Mishmai Varats, and anything that is to be found. From heavens to earth, anything in between, lo nimtso exist only from the truth of his existence. That's the first um, paragraph in the Rambam. I want to start zeroing in on the very first um, words that he used, Motsi Rishon, and we're going to try to explain the significance because it is possibly the most significant point um, the Rambam is making here. We say that a person needs to understand, believe, however you describe it, in God. Now, what does that mean? If we use the word God or Hashem, the way we call Him, which is Hashem is not the right name, is the right name we do not pronounce. Um, if a Muslim uses the word Allah, if a Christian uses the word God, or let's say Christian uses the word Jesus, is that a belief in God or not? Um, is it the language that counts, the right name, getting down pat, the exact words, syllables? What is it exactly? So let's describe first what we mean by um, by God, and and then we will will realize that it's not the word per se but it's actually the meaning attached to it that is significant. Um, the, the, let's go to the following scene. We have a very, very devoutly religious person um, is debating and discussing theology and what have you not with a secular scientific person. Okay? Not to mind you, a scientific person can be religious, but we, we've set them up this way. And the religious fellow um, challenges the scientific fellow and says, where does the whole world come from? And with great patience, the scientific fellow explains that um, there was a massive matter that had been very, very concentrated and it expanded, exploded, etc., etc. And then he says, okay, and where did that come from? He says, well, we've actually have some very fascinating theories about it. Um, we have string theories and we have some sort of process of going from um, motion to becoming matter and different things like that. And the religious fellow challenges him and says, where did that come from? 
And at that point, uh, I don't know, maybe by the time they have a conversation, we'll have another stage, but the poor scientist says, well, we don't know now. And he says, aha! And the poor scientific, secular fellow is duly humbled, and he says and whispers to the uh, religious fellow, maybe you can lie to me and tell me the truth, where did it come from? And um, he replies, God. And the scientist very meekly asks him, and pray tell me, where did God come from? He says, no, 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 you're not allowed to ask that question, it's prohibited, absolutely prohibited to ask the question. Well, that's not much of a, of, of a dialogue, it's, um, it, it really hasn't enlightened us any, except that the religious person has the privilege of being religious, and he can pull the do not ask one. So, so, so really that argument is not a very enlightening argument. Um, we also don't know, and except that we say, and you're not allowed to know, and, and the poor scientist doesn't have that restriction. So let's really understand the point of that argument. That argument is a very significant argument. It is the most significant argument, and but but it it's, it's takes us to a very very different place. Let's say a fellow walks out of this room and looks around, and he sees the world. He has different tools to take note of the world around him. Um, those are his senses. He can feel certain things. He can feel the heat of the sun. He can feel the roughness of a rock and the softness of moss. He can see the colors. He can hear the birds, etc., etc. Um, then a scientist comes along and will say, by the way, um, how much light do you see? And he says, well, I see from a red to blue, and the whole gamut of colors in between. And the scientist says, no, 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 there's, there's ultraviolet on one end, and there's infrared on the other end. And the guy says, well, I don't see it, so it can't be light, so it doesn't exist. To, to which the scientist will explain um, very patiently that, uh, yes, uh, it, the, the, the eyes can see some light waves, some forms of light, uh, there are other organs, n humans aren't endowed with them, that can sense ultra ultraviolet um, and can sense infrared. Our bodies actually can sense them. We feel the heat of infrared and the um, ultraviolet can affect our cells in certain ways, which means we, we, we will know that we were affected by ultraviolet rays when we have a sunburn perhaps or whatever. So, so um, though they exist, and, and the scientists will tell us, your eyes will be perfect at detecting any photons in a certain range, they're just not good for that, for anything other than that. Same thing is true with our ears. We can detect the range of, uh, of sounds from point A to point Z, but anything beyond or, bef or less, uh, less vibrations or more, we can't, and that's fine. The one organ that we don't easily feel that way about is the brain or the mind. Um, we feel that anything that exists, the concept of it should be grasped by our brains, and if it's not grasped by our brains, it doesn't exist. Um, we're not willing to accept something which our mind cannot grasp. Uh, a world where 2 and 2 equals 5 doesn't, is impossible to exist, and we say it quite confidently. Okay, so what is one of the primary, one is one is one of the axioms, um, it's hard to say primary axioms, because all axioms are kind of primary, um, it, w one of the axioms of, 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 of logic that, that is unshakable 
and that is that everything was caused by something else. The existence to everything is caused by some other thing. Um, that's how we feel. If we came in, if we asked the scientists where do germs come from, and he shrugs his shoulders and says, germs don't come from any place. They just are. Germs are. Because it's the nature of germs to be. Uh, we would say the guy's nuts. He's been either working long hours or he's been working with substances that he should be keeping away from. Not, not a, it doesn't make any sense. When we walk into a room that is stark, empty, when we walk into a room that's full with furniture, a, an extremely appropriate question is, where did all that furniture come from? And if the guy says, no, well, that's the way f it is. F it, the room it just has furniture. That's not, a, that's not, that's not an answer. I, I know it came. Somebody bought it. Somebody brought it. Somebody stole it. Somebody schlepped it. Somebody put it in. On the other hand, if I walk into an empty room and I were to ask somebody, where is all that emptiness come from? Well, I guess if I am a very um, highly regarded philosopher, people would say, oh, that's a profound question. But for most of us, that, that question would be kind of silly. What do you mean, where does it come from? And the answer is because one of the elementary building blocks of our brain's logical circuit is that that which is came from somewhere. Everything that is there was caused by something. Now, that is makes that makes a tremendous amount of sense to us. The problem is, but that's impossible. Things do exist, and yet if everything needs something to bring it into existence, then it, the world could not exist. If you need it, no matter how far you're going to draw the picture, and you're going to have this tiny, 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 tiny um, dot of, of, of phenomenal matter with, with, with everything in the world in it, but it's so, so, so tiny, that also needs a place to come from. And uh, so, so the, 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 one, the first statement we can make with confidence is that our brain, our mind, in terms of really, really, in an understanding in a, a very gut way, not saying the words and doing the math, but really being able to, to, to come to terms with it in a way that, you know, sort of settles in, we do not, our brain is not the correct, um, the brain is not the, um, the brain is not something which is the final, um, which can determine the nature of the universe. Next. Um, we, we do, however, um, so 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 we, we we must say the following and it's the only thing that will really make sense is as follows everything in the world it comes from something except for entity x whose basic property is that it exists because it exists and doesn't come from anywhere we can't picture it i'm not saying that it's something that i can say and really, really understand it. It's not. It's. It is something that mo just like I can't see ultraviolet, even though I can talk about it, and I can't see infrared, even though I can talk about it. But um, I can say the same thing. The world contains in itself an element, an entity, whose existence is innate to itself, and 
just like the question of where does all that nothingness in the room come from is not a valid question the question where does that God thing come from is not valid by the same dint of 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 definition. It, this is the, everything in the world is defined as coming from somewhere, and the question where from is a good question. God is not defined like that, and this is something that has to be. This is something that um, secular philosophy. Uh, well, I don't know if you call Aristotle secular or not, but th that's that's this is an obvious point. Now. Um, once we've established that, th that is the first definition of God. And that's what the word primary being, a primary being means the thing that does not require anything to, um, to have brought it into existence. Um, and and uh, that, that I must firmly believe. I don't th I'll never be able to picture that. I'll never be able to sort of uh, treat it um, with the same way in which I treat things that do have a cause and effect. But I know that it has to be like that. This definition of God doesn't make a difference now what name you call it. If this is what you mean when you say Allah, then fine. And if this is what you mean when a Christian says God, that's fine. If he means a fellow who was born to a lady, and that's what the Christian fellow means, and... and um, then, then since he needed a lady to be born from, since he needed to eat and drink when he was growing up, or else he would have died long before he was crucified, then that can't define God for us, um, no matter what. It just doesn't fit definition. But if he does feel feels definition, we've got a problem. Then it's not God as we picture it. So any the word is not significant. What's important is going to be that definition. Now, there are other... Um, definitions of it. Other, I mean, further definitions, more details of that. We will see that many of those details as regards defining God, his unity, his incorporeality, and so on, are corollaries of this. And they sort of, if you tease out the argument a little more, you'll end up with, with those. But, um, but at the end of the day, that's the fundamental belief, and if you understand it that way and you um, and you've worked out the carlas appropriately about unity and incorporeality and so on th then you have the same working definition of God as we have and then you've taken and then that's the first big step in understanding that now it says he brought into existence everything else meaning everything else does need a cause and effect and you cannot apply the non-cause effect, and therefore the existence of everything else is contingent on God's existence and are created beings. So we're defining God in a very, very positive sense, that he is that which is a primary being, and then everything else we're defining as not being primary, but linked to God as creations. This concept of defining God that way is defined in different areas by different, uh, by different uh, Jewish philosophers. Some of the terms they use are mitzias hamuchrachas. That's used quite often, Ramchal uses it and others, which means 
his existence has to be. In other words, we cannot assume his non-existence. Um, it is an existence which is has to be. It's an existence which exists because of himself and not because of anything outside. Similar, just a different term. The, the term right, the Rambam chooses to use here is Motsi Rishon, a primary being. And the term that Ramchal uses and others uses in, in the Rambam, also in some places it's translated as such, is Metsios HaMuchrachas, which means an existence that cannot be negative. In other words, you can't say minus God existence. It's, it's an existence that has to be, which is in a certain way saying it's not dependent on any other factor. It's, it's, it's the same thing, just a sort of twist, turning the argument in the other direction. The second point is humamzi kol nimza and everything else. There is nothing else in the world that has that property. It, it it's something that will become apparent. Um, the argument for it will become apparent when we when we learn about God's unity. But more than that, we w it'll be what'll become apparent is um, it, it. It's also um, in in this very very big distinction, if if we, if our existence were um, of the same quality, then we would be defining ourselves as God, kind of. So everything else is created by God. Then he says, he gives three elements of things that are like that. One is, anything in heavens, in earth, and anything in between exists only because of his the truth of his existence. Maimonides, generally speaking, Jeronis writes extremely well. Uh, it includes two elements. He's very, very precise and crisp. And he also writes with a certain grace and a certain beauty. Um, in this work especially, Mishneh Torah, which is 14 volumes of his sense of the entirety of Torah, laid out crisp and and um, to the point is the hallmark of it there are no extra work no extra words and um, everything is is every word clicks in like a brick in its place um, the term it's it's kind of poetic and everything in heavens and earth and all that is between the in between are only to be ex seen as existing Right. As, as only seen as being existing from this, from his, um, from the truth of his existence. What exactly um, is he referring to? I, I would like to think. I can't tell you for sure this is what he means, but I would like to think that um, there is uh, that there's meaning in each of these entities. In other words, he's listing three things: heavens. Earth and all in between. Um, I think that he means, on a very specific way, to enlighten us with each and every one of these terms. Heavens. The first mistake that a person might make in terms of associating God with similar entities is um, angels heavenly beings and so on. But the Rambam, as many others, f 
felt that stars and planets were um, what would I word to be super beings. Th th they are better, more refined than the crass world because they, they're not here. They're, they're just luminous bodies. They're just light. And the Ramam held them to be like that. But angels, for sure. Now, in, in the sort of popular Christian understanding, angels are sort of very, very... They're, they're like colleagues, God's colleagues, and they kind of share a lot with God. And it, I know I, I can't speak for Christians. I'm, um, it's not... Uh, I don't represent anyone. But the popular lore of it is kind of... The angels are sort of uh, assistant gods of types, godlike, and to us, we will discuss some point what's the point of angels. But it is something which is totally alien. Angels and heavenly bodies and anything else that exists are there only as as some sort of. Um, they, they are there as um, creations of God. They are as much creations of God as we are. They do not share in this property one whit. There is, the angels are creatures created by God, and that's it. Don't think that they also come from the same no place that God comes from. One. There was a reverse understanding, and this was sort of the Greek what what sort of um, I guess comes across from the Greek uh, from the Greek uh, literature and it sort of seeps through that there are elements in this world so crass so earthy that one could not possibly imagine that this is a divine creation if God is as God as we as Godly as as we make him to be then could have could he have made an Adolf Hitler? Could he have made filth and muck and 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 everything else that's in the world? Um, and we would say no. This is these are things that are cut from God. God doesn't. God didn't even touch these things. He doesn't mix into these things. Um, God is not involved in when two murderers are planning to do something and they're having a conference. God is not there and God's not present. There's a sense of God not being there because it's too earthy. The Christian, again, and I'm speaking from popular lore, I, I can't speak for any uh, as, a, as a theological representative, there's this kind of thing of the, the devil and his minions and you know this is sort of the void of God and away from God and, and, and so on. Um, that, no. God created down to the crummiest, lowest uh, um, uh, sin the possibility of sin, everything that exists in the world came from God, no matter how low it is. And then he adds one more, and that which is between the two. What, what does he mean, that which is between the two? It, it does, I, I must admit that it rhymes poetically, and you know, I, I'm not going to, but, but I think he means something a lot specific. We've eliminated one mistake of, of something that's God, like our angels. One mistake of something that's n absolutely non-God is the lowest, the material world, the physical world, the, 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 the ugly world, the, 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 the um, slime of the world. 
this w and we've said, yo, both of these are connected to God. They're not God, they're created creatures of God. There's one more entity in the world that gives God a serious run for his money. And let's explain what that would be. We assume, and again, we'll talk about this some sometime later, we'll, we'll take it as an assumption that free will does not exist anywhere in the world, um, except for man. In other words, everything is pre-programmed. Tigers are pre-programmed to eat animals. Lambs are pre-programmed to, you know, kind of sit and bleat, not do anything, not harm anybody. Angels are pre-programmed, and so on. So all of these, all of those entities, show themselves to be dependent on a programmer. In other words, it's very clear that we can look at an elephant as being the um, as as being the result of something of, of, of creation because his whole per entity is dependent. It's been pre-programmed, and elephants do what elephants do, and that's that. Um, human beings can decide to be Maitre Beno or Adolf Hitler. They make that decision, uh, certainly as far as we can tell. And they've got nothing dictating to them. They can th Things can be harder, things can be easier. But n we, w in, in our belief of free will, we posit that man, at the end of the day, it's up to him. And any decision is his own. God's not to blame, his parents are not to blame, society's not to blame. God is not to be praised, society is not to be praised, um, his teacher is not to be praised. He, at the end of the day, input helped him or hindered, but it's him. So the one, the entity in the world that is between the two most aptly describes man, because man is between the two worlds, the higher and the lower. And that in between, in between means free agent, he can swing either way. That to us, that's that's probably the most godlike quality in this sense. That it's it, it is not if A comes from B, then A is dependent. A cannot contain something that wasn't there in B. A is limited by B. Um, and 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 if a man is not limited in any way that we can tell, that means that man is actually godlike in some way. And so he says, well, that also is not. So everything within the world comes as, uh, as a result of God's existence. So, so God exists because he exists, period. We exist because God existed and endowed us with existence. Once he endows us with existence, the laws of physics take over, free will takes over, a lot of other things take over. But that's from point one onwards. And now the Rambam fleshes it out with two sort of corollaries, just to give us some more of a picture. Two, Vimyala Ladas, if one could entertain the idea, Shehu Enei Matsui, that God does not exist, nothing else could exist. In other words, um, w there is, d d w nothing else has made itself in any way. This is true on a very, very fundamental theological level. It's also true on um, on a more human level, I would say, 
on on a in in, in, the, in the elements of theology dealing between man's relationship to God. We have a lot of um, uh, let's call them rabbis, uh, people who publicly like to um, display their rabbinics, and they're always they're always taunting God, um, challenging him to all sorts of verbal and mental duels. How can you do this? And where's justice? And you know, I challenge you to 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 prove X to why you did this to me, to the Jewish people, to the Holocaust, etc., etc., etc. They would be fine if um, if God owed us for something because we put in something of our own. Imagine that uh, if I work for somebody, so I work for him, he pays me. If he, um, if if I don't like the pay that he's giving or the or the conditions for severance, whatever, I can say I've done this, this for you, and where is your reciprocity? That's a fair. That's a fair um, point. Or you know, we've made it a contract. I will do X, Y, and Z. You will do A, B, and C. I've supplied this, this, and this. Why haven't you supplied this, and this? Good, good point. Um, but let's say. I um, somebody gives me alms. He gives me charity every week for no reason. He doesn't know me for anything. He just—he's a kind man. He gives me, and then he skips a week. I can't come with an argument. I mean, I can beg, I can plead, I can this, that, the other thing, but there's no room for arguing. You know, I can't say how come the other guy gave money. We get very annoyed when someone says, "How can you give the other guy money?" Well. What's it your business? It's one thing if you uh, if you're paying a, a, an employer an employee X and this employee something else, you can say you're cheating me because you see that that's the right amount. You owe me something, and the question is just what you owe me. If I'm your accountant, you owe me something. The the question is what's fair wage, and there might be two opinions of that. But but if I give you charity, and not because you did anything for me, not because of any favors, not because of anything, just because. I decided to give a charity. There's no room for 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 argument or debate. This is I mean, God is the one who gave us existence. So what does He owe us? If He does, if He gave us one day of life, does He owe us a second day of life? If He gave us children, does He owe us grandchildren? If He if He, what does He owe us? What kind of argument? Where's the debate? Now, parenthetically. It is you do find in in the in the Bible you find in in two or three places where the prophets debated God on it. The the if you look carefully at it and you read it carefully, they're not debates; they are inquiries. In other words, the 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 uh, sort of framework for the discussion is God, you have told us that you want us to understand the fairness of your ways. You have declared and proclaimed that your ways will be perceived as fair to us. That's mishpat, that's sedek. That we will be able, with our minds, with the human minds, be able to see and understand the fairness of it all. We're having difficulties with case X, case Y, Z. Please, God, enlighten us. Uh, or, it's a personally, personally very, very stressful for me to, 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 to have to live through something that I don't understand. So good. That's that makes a lot of sense. That that is fine. But when it becomes an argument for justice, that doesn't make any sense. If God were not to exist, nothing else exists. 
our existence is not um, innate to us, and and uh, you know, and and it's um, and, and we only exist. We exist by the grace of God. It's not as if we exist, but He gave us money. He didn't give us money. He gave us self, and He owes nothing. And we don't have any. We don't have any self justification for existence, and therefore we are going to. There is no. There are no arguments. The flip side is as follows. He says three, and um, paragraph three in the in the Rambam. Vimyal aladas she'en kolim tzoyim levadim mitzuyim. And were we to entertain the possibility, if one could entertain the possibility, that nothing would exist besides God, who levado yematsui, he will remain in existence, vloyi batel hulebitulam, his own existence will not at all be negated by their uh, negation. Shekola nimtsoyim suichlo, because everything in the world that exists needs him for their existence. Vehu baruchu, whereas God Himself ainat zarech lehem v'lo leechad mehem, does not need the world in its entirety, nor in any part of it. Now, um, this corollary, or sort of this is a converse of what we said before, is meant. I mean, it's again, it's true as it stands, but it also has a very important implication. It applies the following. Whatever we can do in the world, we do not add anything to God, we do not detract from God. If we sin, we're not actually doing something hurtful to God in a real way. And if we do good deeds, mitzvahs, we're not adding anything to God. Now this is something which is a little bit uh, difficult for the following reason, difficult to understand. On one level, we do actually, um, I- I- we speak about finding favor in God's eyes and doing what's right in His eyes and God being happy with us and satisfied with us and God being hurt by us and so on. Th- those words and those terms, those ideas do exist. Let's explain in what context they exist. Again, we're, go- we're going to use different illustrations, but um, uh, illustrations are just illustrations. You know, it's when you when you want to apply it. Ultimately, we have a problem of being able to understand it, but it still g- helps us a little bit to understand it. Imagine you have a teacher in a classroom. Um, I remember when I was in fourth grade, we had a teacher who was um, a very very um, tough and rough teacher, and uh, she was really really difficult. We um, I, we used to call her Mrs. X because she was such a terror. And, you know, the boys really, really were terrified of her. One day on some class trip, she came along. She, she you know, she took class on trip and she brought along a son of hers. And we were shocked that she actually could have a husband and children. I don't know, we, we thought of her as some sort of witch. I guess, I, I don't know what, what our imaginations were. But that somebody actually could have a very loving relationship with her and and children and so on was beyond our imagination. Um, that's because we mistook, the d- we didn't understand this person has two roles. There is a big circle of, of a person, real person with a normal life, and within that circle there's a smaller circle called teacher mode in which she made a decision, she has to be very tough and very strict and no nonsense. 
um, God has created an interface with us and that interface has a very human face to it we we think of mitzvahs as doing good in God's eyes and God reflects it by showing us favors um, showing us pleasantness pleasantness of life and vice versa but that's not inherent to God it's not as if God on a day that I didn't do a mitzvah God has a hard time sleeping that night that that, that doesn't that doesn't those things don't work um, God is God and we haven't affected him and the Pasuk says if you've sinned what have you done to me and if you've done well what have you given me what if we were to disappear God would not be less than he is and therefore we, we, we are we know that God rewards for good or not God punishes we know that there's an interaction where God justifiably calls himself um, you know he, he is pleased he's he's he he he, he is um, you know we find favor in his eyes there th those th it is correct but at the level of the interface not at the level of essence so we'll just sum up and uh, that'll be it so the Rambam here has defined first of all what God is a primary being which the most significant piece of that is um, existence is innate to itself and there is no the question where from has no meaning it just doesn't because this is a type of this is a type of existence that the existence is in, inherent to it um, everything else is not that way there is nothing else that could possibly be that way and everything else exists because of God as creator this includes the highest elements of creation this includes the lowest and crudest elements of creation and it includes man who uniquely has a very very godlike um, a, 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 a sense to himself um, and everything and everything all of that comes from God he also says if um, were we able to project that God doesn't exist nothing else exists we've we've shown how that might be um, how that affects us in our relationship and our the, the rights to demand certain things from God and so on and vice versa if if um, if we were to entertain the idea that nothing exists God wouldn't become one with smaller and if he doesn't become one with smaller that means we're not giving him anything or denying him anything when we do mitzvahs or averos and therefore um, we, 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 we can't come along feeling we, we've given God some or not. It is, his, it is the good will of God to, to reward us and to punish us. Fine. But there is no inherent um, change, so to speak, in, in, in what we call God. Okay, we'll hold it here.